This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 3rd, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. One of every 100 adult Americans is now in prison, according to the Pew Center on the States. What's driving the increase in population of America's prisons? The war on drugs. Tim Lynch, director of the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice, offers his thoughts. We've now got 2.3 million people locked up in jails. Now, for the average listener out there, they're really not sure what to do with the number 2.3 million. For the people who don't follow these things, they're not sure what to make of the number. So I try to put it in some kind of historical context, and that is it took the United States about 200 years, a little bit more than 200 years, to get to the 1 million person mark. But it's taken us just about 20 years to go from 1 million to 2.3 million. So that's how fast our prison population has been expanding. It's really been growing at leaps and bounds over the past 15 years. The engine behind these, these numbers is the drug war. I know a lot of people take the view that, look, you know, if people are in prison, they probably belong belong there, you know, if they do the crime, do the time, that sort of thing. It is true that if you put certain people in prison, you will be stopping a lot of crime. If you if you lock up a rapist, if you lock up a child molester, if you lock up a, a career burglar or a mugger, somebody who gets up every day and his plan is to go out and rob people, if you put these career criminals behind bars, you are going to stop a lot of crime. And those people should be locked up. But behind these incredible numbers is really the drug trade, the, the, the drug war. And when you lock up a, a petty drug dealer, you're not stopping crime because he is immediately replaced by somebody else in that drug gang. And so you're not doing anything to stop crime when you put those type of people in prison. You're just locking, warehousing people, and then you're actually making less room for the next violent offender to come along because the prisons are overflowing. And you have to put yourself in the place of like a warden whose prison facility is, is, is overflowing. And he knows next month 200 more people are coming. So then he has to decide who he's going to let out early before they've served out their full sentence. And you've got these crazy mandatory minimum sentences that apply to the drug offenders. So they cannot be let out until they've done 10, 15, 20 years. So then the warden has to end up making decisions where he'll let out these career criminals before they have served their their entire sentence, and that makes the community less safe. Now, mandatory minimums... <clears throat> Mandatory minimums removes discretion that would otherwise exist throughout the judicial system and the prison system. That's right. For certain types of offenses, uh, it really depends on the quantity of drugs, and that means it removes the discretion from the judge who makes the the initial decision. Once the prosecutor brings a certain charge, then this person, if convicted, is going to go away for, depending on the charge, either five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, so that person will be locked up, and once he's in prison, the warden, parole boards, they cannot make any discretionary decisions as to who gets out early. These mandatory minimums apply, and that's why sometimes violent offenders are let out and start immediately committing violent offenses against people in the community, because the prisons are so packed up with uh, these petty, nonviolent drug criminals. What is the relationship between the crime rate and the incarceration rate? Well, it it does, I think, depend upon uh, the criminal offense. Um, if you're talking about a, a, a career criminal, if you lock somebody up like that, 
you're going to be stopping a lot of crime. But with these drug offenses that are just swamping the courts, there's, I really can't emphasize that enough how the police, the courts, and the prisons have just been totally swamped by drug offenders. They're just, there's just waves of them that just keep coming each month, one after another. So what happens is, is that the, the policymakers really do not want to come to grips with this policy. Basically, the, some social engineers thought that when they banned drugs, that uh, people would stop using them. And it hasn't worked. Uh, and then they started to increase the penalties for drug offenses. That didn't work. The, the drug laws that are on the books, they are violated millions of times every month. So there's just an endless supply of persons that can be arrested for drug offenses and then brought into the system. So what happens in, in these jurisdictions where the prisons are overflowing, the system just starts to back up which means the police will ignore some drug dealing going on in certain neighborhoods. Uh, Judges in some jurisdictions, they might have a little bit of leeway where they will start diverting some prisoners into drug treatment rather than to prison. Um, And then the wardens start uh, with these stopgap measures where they will just start moving cots and bunk beds into the cafeteria in order to deal with this overflowing system. Um, so it's really, it's these mu- these muddling type measures is what we're going through right now and will continue, I think, to be doing in the next 10 years until policymakers come to grips with the root cause of why our system is so swamped with, uh, with prisoners. And it's because uh, of these drug laws. Now, the argument that conservatives sometimes make is, well, let's build more prisons. We did that. During the whole 1990s, we spent billions of dollars. We were building, on average, about a prison a week. So that argument has really been tested. We've built a lot of prisons, and before, as soon as they're built, they're immediately filled up. So whenever there's extra prison space, the, the police just begin another crackdown on drugs where they can start you know, arresting some of these petty offenders, which they sometimes ignore. So... Um, it's, it's a failed policy that we're dealing with and that the policymakers really didn't, do not yet want to come to grips with. What would you say is step one for policymakers that would like to not have a huge increase in crime, but nonetheless would like to reduce their prison populations? Well, you start with the fact that you only have so much uh, jail space to use. Start with that reality. Um, you want to use that space in the most intelligent way possible, which to me means you use it for uh, the violent offenders and the career criminals. You use the prison space for that. So you immediately, the first thing to do is remove the mandatory minimum penalties that apply to to drug offenses. That's the first pragmatic thing that can be done. Uh, But after that, you really just have to get to the underlying problem, which is uh, the drug laws themselves. A lot of liberals, I think, put too much emphasis on these drug courts, like we'll send people into treatment rather than jail. It sounds good, but again, because the system is so totally swamped with drug offenders, what you're ending up doing is sending a lot of people into treatment that, you know, whether they need it or not, it's just a way of dealing with the body because the prisons are already, you know, so swamped. So you have to get to the underlying problem, which is the drug war. We got to move away from it the same way we moved away from alcohol prohibition because we're making the same mistakes over again. Tim Lynch is director of the Cato Institute's Project on Criminal Justice. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Read more on the drug war 
at our website, cato.org.